Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hey, friends. Welcome back again. Thank you for listening in. Um, today's episode is pretty magnificent, if I do say so myself, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is the cocktail I made was my very favorite, and I just haven't made it in a while. And yes, it was delicious. <laughs> and it was so filled with blackberry flavor. It made me so happy. Um, I did make a blackberry and thyme whiskey sour. Uh, if you have not had one, I would highly suggest making it. If you want to make it, I can tell you how. First, you're going to get a shaker. And then you're going to put into that shaker for one serving um, an ounce and a half of bourbon, which I used Woodford Reserve, a favorite and an always easy go-to. So delicious and easy and a great cocktail spirit. So from there, um, you're going to add an ounce. I add an ounce. You can add more if you want, but I like mine, I guess, to be a tiny bit on the less sour side. But um, I did add both lemon and lime this time. An ounce of lemon lime juice. You can obviously add more if you want. Um, I added about three good-sized blackberries, and I muddled those in together with the bourbon and... You can muddle them either at the very beginning, which is totally fine. Or if you forget, like I did this time, <laughs> I added them after it. I already added some um, of the liquid, but uh, three to four blackberries muddled. And then I did a half ounce of, um, oh my, half ounce of thyme simple syrup that I made. So easy easy breezy. And then two nice dashes of Ango bitters. Um, and then an egg white. I shook all of that up in a, um, a shaker without ice first for about 10 to 15 seconds. And then I put ice in there and then I shook it up again for another, I don't know, 15, 30 seconds. And it's, it was real good. It hit the spot. Very, very delicious. So if you're into a cocktail, there you go. Uh, if you're into like interesting guests, I have um, John Rivers as my uh, podcast partner today. He is not drinking at the moment, which I totally get. I went 100 days without alcohol last year. And so he is not drinking the hard spirits right now, which I totally understand. So I was doing some day drinking by myself, but uh, was totally fine because I was entertained by so many stories and so much amazing information. I, my brain was like working <laughs> to like absorb all the things that he is doing and just the state of affairs of food insecurity and um, just his story of his uh, family and growing up and how he kind of landed in positions as a leader and then how he landed in positions of starting his own his own businesses. So unless you live under a rock, uh, you have heard of Four Rivers, uh, Feed the Need and Four Roots Farms, and they're doing incredible things. And they really did step up to a lot of um, beautiful giving 
um, in the COVID times, especially early on. So uh, I hope you will enjoy one of my absolute favorite cocktails and then one of my favorite guests that I've had. So much fun listening to Mr. John Rivers. Enjoy. Hello, John. Dana. Hello. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It's always good to see your face. Um, and I know you got all on your plate, so I love that you're able to come and join me for a moment. Absolutely. And only one of us is doing some day drinking today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, normally we would say cheers. We can still say cheers. We can still but, say um, cheers. Yes. Cheers. Cheers to, indeed. Cheers indeed. That's a wonderful cocktail. Mm. Thank you. Do you have the same one every show? I do not. Oh. Oh, no. I mix it up pretty much every single time. Yeah? Yeah. Now, how do you decide for that particular speaker and guest? Sometimes I try to guess what they would like. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I'd be like, hey, what's like your favorite spirit? And then I could like craft something around that. Okay. Um, but normally it's like I just either it's like seasonal, maybe like the holidays. It's like something um, Thanksgiving or spring or summer okay. or if I just know somebody likes something. Yeah. So this is my favorite cocktail, which is a uh, whiskey sour with Woodford Reserve mm. and some fresh muddled blackberries. And then I made a thyme simple syrup nice. to go in it. So That's very pretty. I love the color yeah. of it. Too. Yeah, the color. It's like a dusty rose. Yeah. 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 So it's you have beautiful. some bartender in you in your past or are you just a hobby? I have zero bartender officially. I've never worked as a in that capacity. However, <laughs> doing dinner parties, I started doing dinner parties. And I mean, I always love to entertain and I love to cook even back then, but it wasn't really in like a, any kind of like professional mm -hmm. manner. I've worked in events for my whole career. So I just loved being able to gather people around the table and then doing drinks was fun. And then, and then really it was the, the people. Yeah. And so with dinner party, I've kind of, we've done over, you know, almost probably 600 dinner parties now. So really? yeah, I went to one years ago i think it's like sato sushi no is that the osprey oh the osprey that's right yeah with jason and sue yeah and ben and matt from the, he was at the city and some great people yeah it was a fun one i really yeah. didn't understand what the whole thing was but uh -huh. it sounded fun uh-huh i'll tell you what <laughs> something really interesting happened at that you know now, now that we think about oh do you it. tell so we're sitting there, you know, it's a long table. Yeah. And I think we had like 12 people. That yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I forgot who was across from me and speaking. And, and there was a young lady on the other side of the table, but down at the other end. And do you know this story? No. Is it major? No, no, no. I know major. Oh, you know I think major. she's the one that, that got me there. That okay. Because um, I know she was there. Yeah. No, it's a lady I didn't know. Okay. And um, she was looking at me and, you know, you know how when you, there's one thing just to look at somebody and it's another like, okay, I, I know you know me or I know, I know you, right. you know, one of those. And so after the, the dinner, she comes up and we start talking. She says, you don't remember me, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. She says, um, years ago, she said, I was in a really tough situation in life. Mm -hmm. I was really, really down. Mm -hmm. And. I was going to do something that wasn't great that night. Oh, okay. And I came to the smokehouse and this is the original smokehouse. Yeah. And um, yeah. And yeah. I was a carver back then. Yeah. And uh, she said, I came up to the line and uh, you saw something in me that was 
bothering me. Mm. And I, I don't even remember it. She said, you put your knives down and you asked, you know, how are you? Mm. And, and I don't even know the words that I said to her, mm-hmm. but just lifted her up a little bit. And uh, she said she went home and she went a different direction in life. Mm-hmm. And now she was there that night. Yeah. And it was a young startup company. So she, okay. had, and I use that story often that you never know two things. The reason the person who's sitting in front of you or standing in front of you, mm-hmm. why they're there at that particular time. And you should never mm-hmm. underestimate the impact of your words with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there for a reason. Always. Always. So we're there and, for a reason. Yes, yeah. 100%. And and sure. Never discount that. And that's, that one has stood out in my mind is to, you know, always, you know, what you, how you can pour into people no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. And what people are battling on any given day, right? Yeah. Sometimes it feels like sometimes people have it together, but sometimes on the inside, it's, that's not the actual case. And yeah. so I know that sometimes even with my words, sometimes even if I'm in a moment of like yeah. frustration or, yeah. you know, like, it's yeah. just like remembering like, okay, like sometimes yeah. I need to remember maybe what's happened in their day, right. what's happening in their life right yeah. now. And sometimes it's less about exactly what they say to you that's offended you or hurt you. Sure. It's why are they saying it mm-hmm. and what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one, thank you for coming to a dinner party. Two, thank you for sharing that story. And three, thanks for all the things you're doing around town, John Rivers. So usually I start out with kind of, I know kind of right now you're not drinking as much and maybe not drinking <laughs> as uh, much hard, hard liquor, which hard I totally liquor, understand. Yeah. As I mentioned, I did a hundred days of no drinking last year and yeah. it was just such a good, like healthy reset. And it was hard at moments because it's my industry and <laughs> a lot of dinner yeah. parties that I'm around, but, um, but it's a, it's a good way to just kind of take a pause. However, you've been around town for a long time. And if you were to go out for, to grab a, a drink at a previous time or mm-hmm. a glass of wine or mm-hmm. a restaurant, I mean, obviously you have many restaurants around town, but we, we are blessed in, in the, in the food and beverage industry here. Greatly. Greatly. Where would be like two or three places that you would go like on a date night or like to like meet up with somebody? We eat out quite a bit. Okay. Um, We we enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're we're empty nesters. So, you know, sometimes just finding things to do (laughs) at night to get out. Yeah. Now a little known secret. My wife is a vegan. Okay. So it, you know, we, we always tell people that, that we, yeah. yeah, we balance the, the culinary universe <laughs> out there. You sure do. Between the two. Actually, I eat mostly vegetables now okay. as well. Yeah. I love fish too. So pescatarian. Kind of, yeah. Pour, more on the pescatarian side. Sure. Um, unless I'm working. If I'm working, then I, then I you do, gotta, yeah, right. I do my job and I love it. Do um, your due diligence. Yeah. So, you know, finding places that can really fit her diet. Mm. is you know it is a little it's not as easy as just going to uh, you know one of your favorite places but we love um you know francesco's is uh, our favorite italian love going there quite often we eat a lot of uh, asian okay um we love vietnamese mm-hmm. um, yep there's mm-hmm. a, a little teeny place down the road that Bobby. we we really really enjoy that uh, we eat a lot of indian which we really enjoy do you have that. a favorite indian it could be controversial it can be I know. yeah you know what's interesting too is i learned 
you know, and it's so silly that we should know this. There's different regions in India and the food can differ greatly based on where the cuisine comes from. Sure. Just like in Italy. Right. You know, we've always gone to Mint uh, in Winter yes. Park and really enjoy Delicious. Mint. You know, a whole lot. And then someone said, you need to go try Woodlands, which is... I keep on hearing about this. You know, it's just been there forever. You kind of look at it. It's down on OBT, you know, uh-huh. and you're like, hmm, I, I don't know. And then we went one day. And it is, it's from a whole different region in okay. India. It was food that we had never had before, never seen. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. Now there's a little, um, uh, like India, um, street kitchen, street kitchen across yes. the street, Bombay. I've been there, Bombay Street Kitchen. Yeah, really good Delicious. too. Yeah, same region. Yes. Now, and I, I guess that's, I think, and please don't hate me if I say it wrong, but I think it's from the southern region of India. Okay. But um, I really like those, you know, places a, a whole lot. And we eat out a lot, you know, drink-wise. You know, I'm, I'm, I do like wine. Okay. And I, I and, you know, I'm a, I love my wine <laughs> and then have a large collection and like mm. to go places for wine. And we actually travel around the world. Um, it's so funny. We, we vacation every year and we'll pick a place uh, I'll look at it, you know, from my perspective. I want the food, I want the cuisine, the the wine, mm-hmm. um, and then the culture, the the history, the art. We love arts, and um, she'll look at it completely different. You know, it's the fashion, you know, and then you know the, some of the shopping, but then it's the culture and the arts and everything. Is too. the food the pri- the priority for you when you're in, in a travel I, situation? I will get offended. I have to admit, okay. I get offended on trips if we go somewhere and it's not a call, not a good culinary region Same. yeah okay yeah so we, we love france and spain and italy mm. and, and all those places yeah. portugal's on our target list um have you been to portugal we have not i went in 2019 yeah. for about three plus weeks yeah. and i loved it really I, yeah three weeks wow three weeks good for you i said in the, in the southern part of portugal yeah so i didn't even go to porto or lisbon but in the southern part it's called the algarve okay and so there's so much of the coastline that is protected by the government and so it's just oh, you beautiful. can go to you can go to these beautiful cliffs and beaches that wow. have no restaurants no hotels, no shops. It is literally the God-given earth. Wow. And it's just stretches. And a lot of times be- these beaches are like private. Wow. So you have your little car and then you're going around and you just can find beaches. And then you walk down a pathway. Yeah. And it's just stunning. Wow. As far as like, and the food there is amazing. I think I like the food in Spain better. Okay. Um, But it's like fresh. It's a lot of seafood. Okay. It's, like you know veggies you go to the farmer's market and you go to the you know they have the grocery stores over there but portugal i would say um was one of my favorite favorite places that i've been it's high on our list or high on my list we we have there's four of us in our family hence four rivers that's where the name comes from and it's my son and my daughter and monica my wife and and we always do summer vacations together even now and we'll with your wrote, children yes that's nice yes well it's my my hope we've we've planted the seed we've done it for 14 years in a row now okay that even when they get married and even when they have children you know, <laughs> if, right. if we're so blessed that you we can take ingrained them. in them very yeah. early i mean we go it you get to pick when it's your year right you can pick anywhere in oh. the world that you want to go and as long as we're able Man. to do it sure uh, we go so we've been to africa and israel and all over the place and really yeah and so this year it's a uh, Cabo San Lucas. Okay. It's my daughter's pick. 
And uh, I, we've not been to that. We go to Mexico quite frequently, mm-hmm. um, but not been to that coast. Okay. So we're excited about that. And uh, Monica and I, it's our 30th year wedding anniversary Aww. coming up and we're going to go to St. Bart's. So never nice. been there, but I hear it's it's beautiful. When well. is it your turn again to pick? You know, that's rotation. a great question. Uh, um, I think my son is next. Okay. And uh, so he'll be next year. I think I, I think I get to go after that. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because we did Let's Maine last year for Monica, so it's definitely my turn coming up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can start planning. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that's amazing. Did you ever drink white linens at, uh, at Luma? Luma? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I used to love those drinks. I think they're still doing them at Prado. And, um, they, as they should. Yeah, yeah. As, as they should. As they should, yeah. That was kind of their um, staple. Staple. Yeah. Very infamous yeah. cocktail. Yeah. We, you know, it, one of those goes down so easy. Two, you really don't feel it. And if you go to three, you're then in, you're in trouble. You're, in trouble. you're, you're over. You're but over the cliff it, at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and uh, espresso martinis. Uh, I still like those. Yeah. I um, I cannot really do caffeine. Really? Oh, I don't wow. drink coffee. I can barely have a chai latte, which is one of my favorite things in yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, a deeply coffee right downtown has a, has a decaf... Um, chai latte, uh-huh. which I go there sometimes for that. But um, as I've gotten older, it's just like I can't do. So I could never do a nighttime espresso. Wow. Okay. I mean, maybe like before twelve. Yeah. You know something, but yeah. um, you know, I'm not a. Maybe it goes together. I'm not much of a sleeper. Um, I go to bed early, but I, I'm this morning. I was up at three thirty, which is earlier than by normal. choice. Yeah, I, I I don't use an alarm clock. I just wake up. And uh-huh. today was early. Usually it's it, it, four to five is my kind of my time that I get up, uh-huh. you know, on, on, I get really excited if I can sleep to six <laughs> on like Sundays or so on the weekends. We are on a different yeah, timeline. Yeah. I, I okay. am. I just, I got lots of energy and, um, you know, and, 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 and quite honestly, yeah, we are, we are now. I can't make it past 10. Fair night. enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm getting my hours. It's just, you know, it's kind of shifted in life perhaps. Yeah. But that's my quiet time. Mm. You know, even at night and, you know, I still, you know, people will call or texts or they're writing or stuff like that at four or five in the morning. You're, <laughs> it's me and it's quiet. Yeah. And that's, that's my time that I get my reprieve mm-hmm. literally every day um, between there and, and I'm a swimmer. And when I'm in the pool. It yeah. Is, alone it, time. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Such good cardio. I, you know, so I have a, I have goggles that mm-hmm. have a little computer chip in it. Okay. So it actually tells me my distance, how many laps, my pace. It keeps track, which is great. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah. It's in the bottom right hand corner. The goggle. Right. It's super cool, and that allows me just to free think. You know, so I'm not yeah. thinking about my time. Counting I'm thinking your laps. About, yep. And then I, I have an underwater uh, iPod. Mm-hmm. So I listen to music and it's, it is, you know, and I'm, I swim sometimes about an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And that's a lot of swimming. You know what? It's selfish. It's my, that is. That's your time. That is. And yeah. Unplug. Yeah. No one can reach you. Nope. I get into a rhythm. Yeah. And, and I use a center snorkel. So I don't have to take my head out of the water. Oh. I, I literally, my head is down the whole time okay. for an hour. And it is just, uh, I can get, I actually come up, that's where I come up with so many ideas mm-hmm. and thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, those, uh, what do they call they, they start firing off in your body and your brain and yep. start coming up with ideas. And, yeah. yeah. That's that you asked me earlier what my relaxation is. And that's, it's, when, I used to run triathlons 
And I can't do that anymore if I've got some issues going on with my back and sure. some other things. But swimming and and uh, is my my reprieve. Is your I amen? Yeah, I used to be in more of a rhythm of swimming, but I've kind of gotten out of it. But yeah. I was on the swim team kind of growing up, and yeah. Um, yeah. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up outside of Washington D.C. in Northern Virginia. Yeah, so like, I was born up there. Oh, you were. I was born in D.C. at Copley oh. Memorial. Lived my dad. We lived in. We're Arlington. starting into your story. I want to hear. I would love to hear about your uh, story. Where you started. Where your family was. Give me all. Give me the. My dad was in the Navy. Okay. He worked in the Pentagon. Both he and my mom are from Jacksonville. Okay. Generations there, and um, he was up there working, and uh, they got married here, and had myself and my brother there, and then. The rest of the family was all born back down in Jacksonville, and they moved back here. Okay. And, uh, but that was my, you know, my my short stint in D.C., all of five years, which right. I, I, I vaguely remember right. any of it. But um, What part of, was it in D.C. or was it in Maryland, Virginia? We lived in, I think, in Arlington, if I recall. Okay. Yep, I've never been, I never been back to the old house or anything. I, no. I, no, I wouldn't okay. know the address. But. Sure. I lived in Arlington yeah. for a little while and then a little bit out in like uh, Leesburg and Herndon okay. area. So yeah. a little bit. I, I lived. Yeah, that's where I grew up was, was D.C. area. Wow. We're getting ready to go up there. Um, we do a lot of work with World Central Kitchen. And, okay. Um, you know, Is that our, Jose on? Yeah, Jose Andres. Yeah. And we, you know, we got connected with them through our Feed the Need program. And we mm -hmm. started you know, going out in the community and feeding people. And right. it's just a shared passion and they created a program. It's a training program. Um, it's chef training program for relief feeding, mm -hmm. for mass feeding like that. And they asked um, myself and gentleman who runs all of our operations in, and our farm, okay. uh, Tommy, to come up and, you know, to share some of the things that we've learned and, mm -hmm. you know, take part in it. So we're going up to D.C. in, a, in next month. Oh. I'm actually really excited about it. Sure. Yeah, I haven't been there for a long time. Sure, sure. Also, it's a beautiful time to be there where hopefully yeah. it's like coming out of like the... Uh, yeah the colder hopefully there's you know, some spring as, in the air right yeah. some spring in the air yeah um but i'd love to kind of hear a little bit about like who was john in like middle school high school uh, john was a nerd he what was un you, uncoordinated like um you know i i grew up my mother is lebanese and my father is spanish and english okay and um so growing up in a lebanese community going to a Catholic, uh, you know, high, you know, middle income neighborhood. It was, was not always easy. Sure. Um, so. And this know, was in Jacksonville. This is in Jacksonville. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, got, uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't an easy uh, growing up. All right. Okay. Uh, to say the least, but it, it taught me, you know, everything you ever hear, um, there's a theologian named Kierkegaard, <laughs> and one of the greatest things that I like that he said of many, he said, we live our lives moving forward, mm -hmm. but we tend to understand our lives looking back. Yeah. And, you know, all those things that happened in middle school from the bullying and the, the fights and all mm -hmm. of that stuff, you know, it built up a compassion and an understanding, mm -hmm. you know, that you know, good or bad things when they happen to you. They, they still, they're in your DNA. Mm -hmm. They make you the person that's sitting here today. And if you hadn't experienced even those challenges, you know, you wouldn't be sitting here today. And especially if you're, if you're so blessed and you're in a nice point in life, you got to look back on those things and be grateful for them, even when they were tough. Yeah. So, you know, some of that, Amen. that, you know, growing up and, 
Um, Did you have siblings? Around? I have siblings. Okay. I have, I'm the oldest of four. Okay. And uh, there's five years in between each one of us. So none of us were actually ever in school together. Right. I was going to say, like, <laughs> uh-huh. that, was there any yeah, dynamic no. of siblings? But no. I, it was, you know, a little, it's funny. My, my, the youngest and I are the closest because my first year when I was in college, um, I, I was the first in our family to go to college. Okay. And my, um, my father stepped out of our life when I was a freshman up in, I was going to a little small school up in Georgia. And uh, so I had to quit in uh, my second semester and come home because all the money was gone too. Sure. And um, so he and I developed a relationship because I had to step into the family and, and really help my mom. Was there t- 20 years, 15 years 15. difference? 15 mm-hmm. years difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, between the two, between right. the two of us. So, um, you know, that, that was an interesting time of life too, mm-hmm. you know, where you you think you're going down one path and all of a sudden the, the rug gets it pulled out like from really underneath. It sounds like really abrupt. It was, it was very, it was overnight. It was literally, it was a phone call. I remember, uh, I think we're going down this path, but it was a phone call at the end of the hall in the dorm and mm-hmm. it was mom and she said, you know, you come home tomorrow, literally. And, uh, oh, yeah. And life, yeah. life was completely different when we got back home. But, you know, again, it just, you, you had to go through that, mm-hmm. you know, in order to become, you know, the person that you are today. So sure. that taught me a lot about, um, you know, perseverance and, you know, in family mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not giving up, you know, when things are so hard. And it was, uh, you know, matter of fact, that's, that's how I ended up. I ended up painting houses. Um, okay. Needed to make a living now. College was off the table. Right. And so uh, very immediately you were like, I have to find a job. We had no money. <clears throat> you know, people ask why you, why you feed people so much. Mm-hmm. I you know feel it, it. I know what it was you know like it. to live in food insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, a real that thing. was a season in life that, you know, again, you know, how blessed I am today that I did go through that because now I know what those people are going mm. through. From a first hand, it's not right. Yeah. And even to this day, I can walk through one of our smokehouses and I'll see a group of college kids or people like that. And I know the one who doesn't have money. Mm. I, I can pick them out. Mm-hmm. And if they allow me, I always bring them food. Because that was your story at one point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was nothing. So coming into the situation that was uh, very immediate, you kind of got a job painting houses that you could probably get pretty easily. Yeah. And then kind of from there, was there, I mean, obviously the, the restaurants were kind of maybe a second act in your career. <laughs> Multiple acts. Multiple acts. They but went what, from painting houses. I had 12 guys working for me and it wasn't that long. It was only, you know, six months just to you know, get the family all settled in. Sure. And we were painting churches consequently, which was scary because we're all scaffolding a bunch of 18, 19 year old kids with no insurance. <laughs> and the, the biggest topic was where we're we going for Chinese buffet. Sure. <laughs> today. And my best buddy was up in um, Tallahassee at Florida state. And it was uh, August and he calls and says, Hey, you know, get up here. And I said, buddy, I said, to go to, to, for school. Yeah. I said, one, I'm not accepted. And two, I had $74 to my name. And I said, I literally, I, I work today for whatever I eat in life next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, don't worry. I told the fraternity president about you, your character. He said, you could live here. And, um, you know, one day you'll pay us back. 
And uh, so I went and talked to mom and things were, we had things pretty much under control so, yeah. at that point. Mm -hmm. So I, I loaded a Volkswagen and this is back in, oh my gosh, 85. And there were no GPS, none of that. And sure. I said, how do I get there? Because I never, never, never been to Tallahassee. Not even that place. No, no. no. He, says, you right. come, he says, drive down three hours on I-10, get off where it says Florida State, and then go down the road and look for the fraternity house with a lion in front. And literally oh that gosh. was my direction. But before I could get to, before I walked into the fraternity house, okay, I stopped. I was, I had to find a job. I was, I, I stopped at three or four places and then, because I knew I, I could On your way? When I got in Tallahassee. From Jacksonville. Yeah. I wasn't going to go to the house if I didn't find a job. Okay. All right. And um, All right. I found one and I ended up staying working there. You know, I was there five and a half. It took, it took a while because you, you, know, you work this semester, you know, to save up money for books and stuff for next semester. Okay. And uh, so, it took me a while to get through. But, mm -hmm. you know, while I was there... Um, you know, took on leadership roles and learned a lot from being mm. president of this organization or president of that organization okay. and then uh, graduated. And I wanted to be a doctor in life. What was your interest in like school? So when you went to school for your major? I, I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. Um, but that medical school wasn't was out of there. No, okay. it wasn't. So I ended up in going into business, Bloody which was guts. natural. Okay. My grandmother's the, the consummate uh, entrepreneur you know, example of in the family and in life. And oh, that's she cool. grew up in the twenties and you know, she was the one at, at a teenager supporting her family, you know, during the depression and working and sure. You know, so she taught me how, all of that. And, but I went into medical sales. Um, oh. So I figured, okay, if I can't go be a doctor, I'll at least, you know, go into the healthcare career. Okay. So started in medical supply sales, moved out. They moved me out to Dallas, Texas, where I knew absolutely nobody. And uh, I always say, again, there's always a reason. Mm -hmm. you know, I moved to Texas and I met the two loves of my life. All right. Know, um, Monica, my wife. Hopefully. Who's a true Texan. <laughs> right. Yes. And Brisket. Uh -huh. And, you know, you don't think right. about why this is happening today. Mm -hmm. But, you know, her family just ribbed me. Uh, the first time that I met them, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. And, mm -hmm. and she introduced me because I love barbecue. I, I, I grew up, you know, my grandpa and I used to go to Bono's up in Jacksonville every Wednesday night. And that was just a special place, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it wasn't, I mean, I love barbecue and meat, but it was, it was that time with him. Mm -hmm. That's what made it so special. It sure. was, it was beyond just the food. And um, so she introduces me to her cousins, all guys, you know, oh, he's a big barbecue guy. And, and they schooled you. Oh my God. <laughs> It was Thanksgiving meal, and right. on the on the table, typical Texans, they put a big smoked turkey, uh -huh. and they put like this black piece of meat. And I'm looking at now. You grew up in Florida, especially up in Jacksonville. You know, you don't eat beef for barbecue back in the '80s, '70s, and '80s. And if you did, mm -hmm. it was really, really bad. So mm -hmm. you know, it was all pork. You know, pork, and then maybe some chicken from time to time too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they put in. I made the mistake, Dana, of saying, "What is that?" And that was it. it. You're over. They lambasted Yay. me. And, you know, I'm 20 something years old, beers going, you know, lots of testosterone. I'm a highly competitive person, highly mm -hmm. driven. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to learn how to smoke that, what do you call it, brisket better than any Texan here. Those are now, some bold words. They were some very bold, uh, okay. silly words. Yes. Um, to say the least. How did that go over? Well, I didn't have a smoker. <laughs> I never smoked before. You know, I'd done pigs and stuff in the fraternity house, but that's, you know, just throwing stuff together. Right. It literally took me 
18 years of traveling around the country to learn how to make brisket, to have it come out like it does right now. Okay. And what was really neat is during those 18 years, I spent 20 years in healthcare. And especially in the end, I was I was running the businesses and I had a chance to travel all over the country. And that was still mostly medical sales? Um, well, or? it started medical, yeah, then, then went into cardiovascular um, and stents. And then I ended up 10 years of my 10 of the 20, we built up a little specialty pharmacy here in town. I left Johnson & Johnson and uh, a little specialty pharmacy called Priority Healthcare. And uh, we my, when I went to them, they were $187 million a year. And they needed you know, corporate sales, and I'm I'm a strategist. That's in, and I'm a business development person. That's mm-hmm. that's my background in marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, they needed that. And seven years later, we were 2.5 billion. Uh, we had taken it public. Um, we ended up selling it. And this is something you were a partner in, or you were in. I was employee. You were employee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There were 187. You know, folks. By the time that I got there, okay. Um, you know, there were thousands by the time that I, that we left. But I ended up becoming the president of um, one of the major divisions in it. We sold the business, um, and that that was my career in healthcare. Okay. But, but those last years, especially, I got to travel literally all over the country, and mm. my assistant, God bless her. She would not schedule, she couldn't schedule the flight back until I had time to hit one or two barbecue places in every city. What I was doing, because I'm, I'm not a trained cook by, by any means. Sure. I, you know, back then it was all Food Network. It was Emerald. It was Bobby mm-hmm. and it was um, Paula. And, and Ina came on the scene a little bit later. And Monica would tape all these shows for me all week because my job was so stressful. When I came home Friday night, that was the routine. I, I would leave sometimes, a lot of times on Monday and come back on Fridays. Oh, I, whoa. Uh, for travel? Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a rough go for a bit there. Um, I would just sit down and watch these shows, these cooking shows. Mm-hmm. And I would take copious notes. Copious notes. And then my weekend was comprised of always mm-hmm. making one or two dishes, mm-hmm. you know, based on what I learned. But talking to all of these pit masters and barbecue places and mm-hmm. some of the I've, I've been to hun- literally hundreds of barbecue places sure. all over the country i would pick up different techniques and really learning the intricacies of the difference between you know southern barbecue mm-hmm. and texas barbecue and california barbecue or even within the south carolinas, yeah, yeah the carolinas and mm-hmm. you know do you know where all that regional uh, difference comes from Really, I mean, interesting little tidbit. Mm-hmm. When you hear about the regional barbecue, mm-hmm. it actually traces back to the colonist who settled in those particular areas. So you look at Eastern Carolina, and of course, it was originally it was English. Mm-hmm. Well, the English loved that piquant flavor. So you find still to this what day, piquant. What um, is that? Uh, vinegar. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you find that all the vinegar is, is the main barbecue sauce there. Germans settled in Georgia, and what do they like? They like mustard. So they brought mustard mm. into the scene, and that's why you have such a high prevalency of bar- mustard barbecue sauce through Georgia and North Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, molasses and brown sugar and really even tomatoes weren't even introduced into barbecue until cattle started being moved from Florida out to Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and in Kansas City, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of tomatoes that are grown. Sure. And so, you know, it's all of these different flavors come back to some of the origins of those particular areas in our country. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. This episode of Cocktails in Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. 
The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team-building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom, memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. So at this point, did you have a smoker? Were you oh, like, yeah. By you, the time I, oh, were, yeah, literally within a week when I got back and making that, you know, boast. From when you were Yeah, your... I went to Home Depot and I bought one. Okay. And it was just ugly. It was the first, you know, I always tell people. But it was like a starter, a starter uh, smoker. I mean, not, not the brisket was, I'm sorry, the the smoker was fine. Oh, the brisket was ugly. Oh, God. You know, I was oh, so okay. cocky and so or, or naive. That's probably the better word. Okay. Brisket is singly the hardest protein of all the muscles to cook. Absolutely. And I had no idea back then because it's just, it's a solid muscle. It's actually two muscles. It's one muscle that goes across the front of the cow and it's another muscle that goes the opposite, opposite direction around the hip. Okay. So, it's the front you know, chest of the cow and there's two briskets on each side. And so, I mean, it, it was the scraps that they would use back um, when on some of the plantations and really out in te Texas where it became popular mm -hmm. on a lot of the ranches where they had a lot of the, you know, Mexican immigrant workers mm -hmm. and stuff. And it was such a tough meat, they would give it to the workers. Mm -hmm. And the workers, especially the ones, if they had come up from the Caribbean where barbecue started, mm -hmm. and that's why it's called barbacoa, it came up that way through Mexico into Texas and into Florida. Okay. And they would cook it over uh, leaves that were wet. And they knew, even, if it, even though it was a tough meat, Mm -hmm. If you cook it long enough, you're going to get it nice and tender. Mm. So, what I didn't realize is that as I was traveling, I would find the best, in, in my opinion, ribs in the country. Okay. And then I would come home and emulate that flavor profile. And I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a touch channel. So, I have these Excel spreadsheets <laughs> of, okay, every time that I would make it, this is over years. Yeah. I would tinker with uh, the, the wood type or the temperature or the time or the spicing or any of it. I would have it all recorded till I honed it in. And if you look at our menu today, you know, people say, well, you know, I really don't get a specific region. I great. I'm glad you don't because each one of the proteins has originated in a different part of the country. Mm -hmm. So my ribs came from North Carolina, a guy named Mike Martin up there. Pulled pork came from Chris Lilly um, over in Alabama. Um, chicken came from Georgia. Um, Tri-tip uh, obviously came from California. And brisket, we, we say it's Texas, but you know, I kind of lean a little bit more toward the Kansas City style, um, mm -hmm. which consequently, that's where my burn-ins came from, from Arthur Bryant's as well. So, Arthur Bryant's. Yeah. When yeah. you look at the menu and you taste it, I those that's that's 20 years of research mm -hmm. you know, put into that. You know, the hardest thing to do was to make a sauce that was universal, that could go over uh, all, all of those of flavor profiles and not get Compete. locked into yeah. one particular region. Mm -hmm. And that sauce took me four years to make because I'm, again, I'm not a trained chef, 
So it's, you know, you, you follow all these recipes. And I ended up making a Kansas City masterpiece or I make, a, you know, other other flavors that were already there. Mm-hmm. And um, it literally, I got so frustrated. And poor Monica, she got so frustrated with me because it was a mess every weekend. I'd, I'd be the mad scientist. Was she at this was she ever uh, a taste tester? For oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She, I mean, she's a typical Texan growing up. She's just, okay. you know, she just chose about eight years ago to okay. change her diet. And God bless her. I mean, she's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, as, you know, she's a great example of you know, why you do need to eat healthy, quite Fair frankly. Enough. And that's she and that influence was probably part of the impetus that ended up uh, moving us to open the farm mm-hmm. on the farm campus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just because I saw the benefits of that. Compare that to the deficit that our students and our community, the, the number of missed meals. You know, when we found out, we're going to skip forward a whole lot here. When we found out, and this is, you know, the farm concept for Roots yeah. is actually the first time I presented the idea of it was in 2015. You know, that's how long I've been working on this idea. Sure. And what happened in 15, 16 is I went to OCPS, who mm-hmm. we support through our foundation, and I said, all right, um, Barbara Jenkins, Sarah at the time, I said, where do you need the most help? And, you know, God bless her, she said, everywhere. <laughs> and so we walked around and I was looking at everything from computers to books to classrooms. And then when we went to the cafeteria, of course it hit me when I saw kids that were hungry mm-hmm. and I saw kids that the stuff that was on their plate, you know, in in Orange County today, and it's not that different from other counties around the world country. Right. Orange County today, you get a dollar seventy-four, okay, for two and a half meals. So, you know, what falls off the plate literally is going to be the fresh vegetables, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the and the and the you know the leaner proteins. And then what it's got so me, she she told me, she says, you know, John, a lot of these kids live in food insecurity. And the irony is, even though I lived in it, I didn't know that, what that term meant. Like I said, desert, what, yeah. I said, what does food insecurity mean? Mm-hmm. She says, well, John, the food that they eat during the day, all day, is typically only what they get at school. Right. And I couldn't compute. I said, well, what about when they go home? And she says, there's not food a lot of times. I said, what about the weekends? And she says, there's not food. Now, that's 20%. That's one out of five of our kids mm-hmm. right here in our backyard live like that. And I said, we've got to That's do something about yeah. that. We've got to do it. And food banks are great. And the food bank we have here at Second Harvest is a fantastic one. But the, their ex-CEO said something to me that resonated. He said, John, he says, you can't food bank your way out of hunger. Mm-hmm. I said, Dave, what does that mean? He said, we are right. handing out more food today than we ever have in our history, yet missed meals and hunger is at an all-time high in Orange County. Mm-hmm. There's over 2 million missed meals per year just right here. You know, yeah. We're not talking Africa. We're not talking third world. You know, We're talking right in our own backyard. Right. And when you start digging into it, okay, if handing out food is not going to be the solution, okay, I'm, I'm a, a fixer. Okay, I'm, if we're going to do something, we're going to, you know, I don't want to just plug it up. I want to come up with be a solution that's in it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The problem is when you start diving deeper and deeper, why are there food deserts? Why is there this hunger? It's not a single bullet solution. Mm-hmm. When you talk to some of these kids, I'll, I'm going to tell you all the pieces of it. When you talk to some of these kids, you know, one of the things that jumps out the most at you, they don't know that green beans come from the ground. 
are the tomatoes. Tomatoes, right. Program, right. Mm-hmm. They literally, and it's not just them, Dana. It's a generation prior. But their they've parents, had no exposure. No, it's not their fault. To that. It's, right. So if it's not their fault and they're the youth of our community, it's our responsibility mm-hmm. then to do something and to fix them and, and to help them grow. It's not fix them, but help them grow. And you can't just give them food and expect that that's going to change it. Then you start digging deeper. It's education. Okay? Yeah. Whenever the distance between where food is grown and where food is consumed is great, okay, that's what leads to food deserts. Okay. When when you're denied access to fresh produce, okay, especially if you're denied access to produce that's grown on a local basis, okay. In America today, the average produce that you just put in your beautiful martini okay, <laughs> traveled 1,782 miles. Okay. Today. Okay. Yeah. The produce that we have in America, over 51% comes from other countries. Mm -hmm. So then you ask the question, well, wait a minute. Do we we not have enough farmers here? Well, actually, on average in the United States, we are losing 330 farms per week close. Whoa. Okay. Well, wow. 330 per week? Per week. We're, We're approaching the number of farms in America down to 2 million for the first time post Civil War days. Okay. And- why is that happening? Because consumption is going up, population mm-hmm. is going up. We keep bringing it in from other countries and from just that one thousand importing. We just passed the the fifty percent mark of how much produce we bring into the country versus how much we actually consume. So then you think, okay, so I have twenty percent of my kids that are going hungry. I'm bringing food in from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm losing farmers here. Is there not enough that's available here? This is the stat. That pushed me over the edge. In the state of Florida alone, now this is not the whole country, okay? In the state of Florida alone, produce is grown, okay? It never comes off the field or it goes into yeah. landfills uh-huh. or it's thrown away. You know how much? Pre COVID, I haven't seen the post COVID number, pre COVID, it's 872 million pounds. Annually, Lord. that's almost a billion pounds of produce in the state of Florida that goes wasted. to waste. Meanwhile, I have twenty percent of my kids that can't have that can't eat. Right now, you're starting to understand the problem. Okay, it's called a broken food system. Sure, when food is truly available and such surplus, it's going to waste. But yet, there's still people in the community that are hungry, and you can't. It's not always just a matter of access. It's access plus education. Mm-hmm. I can give, and this, you want a true story? We send a lot of produce home. So now we have programs. We go out to the farmers um, all so over the state. The farmers are shutting down because they can't sell enough to make a profit because Not the necessarily. government is shutting them down. There, there's so many different reasons, but the most prevalent reason is uh, development. Um they and want the land for a lot of the farmers today. In they're they're Gen three, okay. Grandpa started the farm, mm-hmm. okay, hundred years ago. Yeah. Mom and dad got it. Built it into a big big business, okay. Because farming uh, agriculture in the United States is still a huge industry. Gen three and and mom and dad worked on the farm, grew up with grandpa. Gen three probably Not went to college. Probably yeah. Uh, now, development and land is at such a premium, somebody comes in, hey, I'll give you $50 million for that. And it's not the value of the farm, it's the value of the land. Mm-hmm. They're out. Yeah. That on top of farming 
has become more and more um, migratory towards single companies. So big farms are getting bigger because they're buying small farms as well. Mm, okay. Do you, know, you know that? Uh, okay. I, gosh, I forgot the exact percent, but it's like 86% of all the produce that's grown um, uh, actually in, just in the United States is only like three or four crops. Did you know that? It's corn and, and wheat, and rice. And that's, and matter of over almost 90% of the corn that's grown in the United States isn't even for human consumption. It's, is it for gas? Yeah, it's for ethylene. Right. And it's for feed. A lot right. of it is for feed. So there is such a Wild. break. Now, think about all those people I just spoke about. Okay. I got the consumer. Okay. And, I'm, and paint a picture of a table. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone who's going to have a seat at the table is in the food chain. Mm -hmm. Right. I've got my, my seed developer. Okay. I've got my farmer. I have my wholesaler, my collector. I have my distributor. I have now a retailer. I have public sitting here. I've got my chefs. Okay. I've got my consumer. I got mom and dad. Oh, you know what? I've got my teachers. Uh -huh. Okay. And I've got my healthcare providers. All right. Restaurants. You, you put restaurants. That's right. Uh, cruise ships. So, so, so there's not a table that exists in the world today mm -hmm. that all those people sit down and talk. Sure. And that's the vision. That's the vision of Four Roots. <laughs> mm. It's not a farm. Mm -hmm. It's called Four Roots Farm Campus because it's a teaching facility. To me, if you're going to make a change in the community, okay, mm -hmm. it starts with education, awareness, and inspiration. Mm -hmm. You have to teach people, even if you either teach them about how to eat the food, how to cook it, why it's important, how to grow it. Mm -hmm. All those go together. You, you have access to it now. Okay. You taught them now and make sure they can get it to it. Mm -hmm. And now you got to inspire them. Sure. You know, why do you want to eat this? Why do you want to eat healthy? And it's not, if you know, your, your physical health is one thing, but how about your future? You know, how about, you know, going to school and, and maybe even getting a career in this. So we've developed the, we, we've been fortunate. Um, Dr. Phillips was so kind to, to buy 40 acres of property mm -hmm. um, just in the packing district off John Young Parkway. Mm -hmm. And they were so kind to give that to us. And uh, we're developing a little over 18 uh, acres of it right now. Right. And it'll be a farm campus. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll have uh, seven different styles of farming okay. on one campus, which doesn't exist today. The the significance seven different styles of farming. What does that mean? The significance of that, you take one seed. What's your favorite vegetable or fruit? Um, probably tomatoes. Oh, I love tomatoes. Yeah, sure. Tomatoes. Okay. I'm gonna take a cherry tomato seed. Yeah. And I'm gonna grow it hydroponically. I'm uh -huh. gonna grow it aquaponically. I'm gonna do it from a suspension on a vertical wall. I'm gonna put it into I... the soil. I'm gonna put it on a rooftop. You know, I'm gonna take that one seed and then at the end of that, I'm gonna compare the nutrient level to that and the tastes and all these different venues and be sure. able to hone those in. So on the campus, we'll have all those styles of farming. We're bringing in one of the top hydroponic systems in the world from Israel. It's on the way here right now, okay. literally. And what's really cool, we're talking to uh, Valencia College. Mm -hmm. So the junior college students who are in their ag program, mm -hmm. prayfully, a year from now, because we're in construction right now, a year from now, we'll have students on our campus Whoa. learning different techniques. Yeah. And those particular students, as well as the OCPS students, will be learning in the top technology of hydroponics in the world. Whoa. Which Marvelous. is Marvelous. Yeah. So we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. And that Valencia but, campus is 
yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, they are yeah. amazing. The whole program out there that, you know, Sandy and the whole team built mm-hmm. is just absolutely stunning. Yeah, it yeah. really is. That's one aspect of it. There's an event center that sits 300 people. We've teamed up with uh, United Arts of Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Arts are really big to, to Monica and I. So we just had our, we just had a charrette, uh, three weeks ago with, I think it was like 14 different art organizations came together. Okay. And uh, from the ballet to the opera to theater to fringe to painting. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, we showed them the campus and all the assets on the campus, all the buildings, all the outside. I said, if you were to treat this as an, a gallery, um, or your studio, how could you use this mm. community asset to further what you're doing in the community, in the arts world? It's beautiful. And it was, oh, it was such a, I loved it. It was, you know, you get all those creatives together mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, it's a collaboration and the yeah. ideas that came from it. Uh, we're just, just tremendous. Yeah. We're not meant for isolation, right? We're meant for community. We are. We're meant for connectedness. Yes. And when we get to dialogue with other people and then help to bring even better things to life yeah. than we could have done on our own. Yes. So yeah. we have such a vibrant community in Central Florida. We are very, we're very, very fortunate here. Very, very um, living in different places around the country and working yeah. in different, you know, you don't, I, I keep telling people that and they, they don't appreciate it if they're just from here because they just assume that's the way it is everywhere. No, you know, this, this community no. has come together, yeah. you know, and helping us build this dream yeah. and bringing it to life. Cause we certainly couldn't have done it, you know, on our, on own. our own. No way. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple of questions for you. One is, is the first thing that's coming to the four roots farm campus, the education center. Mm-hmm. Like I know that you guys are, they've broken ground that you're working on it. Yeah. Things are coming. So is that the, the first thing that will yeah. be? Available? There's three phases. Okay. Uh, The first phase is the education phase, which I thought was so important that we start with where what we're saying, we're going to have the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to house um, students from middle school, high school, um, students who are at camp at the the Science Center, um, Valencia College students, um, even IFAS students in University of Florida. So we've created a pipeline from middle school all the way through college. And we're working with 80 different farmers now around the state. Did you ever Uh, um, pay back... uh, at the Florida State. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Believe me, they they get right. yeah. <laughs> they can't they're coming out well. Right. <laughs> they're like, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> we do appreciate this graduate. <laughs> uh uh-huh. yes, yes, yes. No, there's there's plenty of plenty of opportunities. So. Sure. Did your any either either of your children go to that establishment? Both of them did. Both of them did. Both of them did. And I, I served on the I just rotated off the board of governors um a couple of years ago. Yeah. After being yeah. on there for a long time. And so yeah. they they've been very kind to us over the years. I bet. Yeah. It's been fun. So the education building is the first one that's coming. Education the whole education piece. I mean okay. it's the development of the land. Um we're building it's two large classrooms that can be demised into four. Mm-hmm. Um, we're building all the growing systems, the hydroponic, the aquaponic, the outdoor. So literally by the end of this year, this current year, we're in 2022, we'll have students on campus growing food and uh, learning and being certified. We're creating one of the first in the mm-hmm. state certification for uh, sustainable regenerative farming, mm-hmm. which is so important. You, you have to teach people how to farm and reproduce food in a manner that doesn't harm the land. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's the difference between um, sustainable farming and regenerative farming. Right. Sustain means you keep things Just the same. Keep, right. Regenerate, which is fine. If we can get farmers, if we can get urban, you know, commercial farming to sustainable farming, that's that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're taking out 
You know, we, we take out a lot of nutrients that are in the soil. The soil. <laughs> You're draining like. So you see my two hands, I have them cut. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put a handful of healthy soil in these two hands. Mm -hmm. And that one handful, there are more living microorganisms and microbiome existing today than all of human population from the beginning of time. And one handful of okay. healthy soil, all of those microorganisms, okay, they're absolutely necessary for our body to work. And you say, well, why? Those microorganisms, they feed bacteria. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know that our body is made up of 90% bacteria and 10% human. Did not know It that. is. So we actually depend on those microorganisms that are in the soil. How they get into our body is either going to come into plants mm -hmm. and that we eat or goes into plants and to animals, animals that we eat. Right. And all of a sudden you start looking at the plants and the animals, they're carriers. They're carriers of the microbiome that we need in our body. And when it goes into our gut mm -hmm. and it, it, it's turned its microbiome, at that point, it starts feeding our bacteria and creates our health. So if you don't have healthy soil, mm -hmm. you're not going to have those microorganisms that are healthy being produced. When soil is over farmed, mm -hmm. okay, burnt out, you know, not taken care of, taken advantage of, it turns to dirt. Okay. And that same handful of dirt, there's zero living microorganisms. Okay. Now keep that in mind. If you look at the world today, mm -hmm. the amount of soil that we are burning through yeah. by the way that we are farming, mm -hmm. the way that we're treating the land, okay, we just surpassed, we're at 52% worldwide of soil that's been lost to dirt. 52% of farmable land in the world is now gone. Yikes. The World Health Organization, at the current trajectory of population increase and consumption mm -hmm. compounded against it, development and loss of healthy soil, we have 60 years left before we run out of healthy soil. In the United so States, in the United States, yeah. it's 50. So let's put that in real terms, okay? That is, you have 50 harvests left until mm. we run out of healthy soil. Mm -hmm. So there's a few things that have to happen. Yeah, it's always a solution. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can always you can always win. You can always figure this out. You know, one, you gotta you gotta start training farmers and families and communities how to respect the soil and mm -hmm. how to how to how to how to protect the carbon that's um that's that's so important that's in there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you, you gotta regenerate. You know, you mm -hmm. can regenerate mm -hmm. dirt back into soil, but it takes years and lots of cover crops, and you do it, you have to do it organically. If you put fertilizers and stuff back in it, you're just defeating the purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at the same time, you have to develop other techniques of growing. So they say, you know, you hear people say, oh, hy hydroponics right. um, or, you know, these big warehouses, that's the future of farming. No, it's not. It is, it's a piece of the future of the farm. You cannot feed the world out of a warehouse. At a warehouse you yeah. have to have that balance between all of those. You said like the, the 2 million farms, even within the U.S., Right, that's what we yeah. have left. Yeah, we're we're not quite there yet, but we're, <clears throat> we're we're quickly approaching two million. Right. Yeah. Okay. Another question for you is if you could give us a brief overview. Um, I just loved the way that you and your team kind of sprang into action um, at the beginning of COVID with feed the need, um, and was such a 
volatile time for us all in, in different ways. And some people were very, of course, blessed to have, you know, their needs covered. And there was a lot of folks, um, that was a really tough time, yeah. you know, and like you're saying, just kind of those basic things. And even me as a small business, like that was a really challenging yeah. time as well. And, um, I would love to know kind of what feed the need, kind of what that span was like, is it still going? Is it a future thing? Was it for this moment? What is, what sure. was kind of, you know, what did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was born out of necessity. Um, and it, it really was born out of a crisis. Mm -hmm. I always say that when, when there's that much disruption, there's that much opportunity and the opportunity wouldn't exist so many times if everything was status quo. Sure. And you'd look at all the, the great inventions and stuff that come out. It's, it's usually because there's such a dire need mm -hmm. and those dire need is typically tied to some type of, uh, some type of crisis. And so everything did shut down. Yeah. And, uh, it was March of 20 including all of our restaurants. We were, we were and in men's space businesses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny, we're, not funny, but yeah, we um, were in fire mode. Um, we were losing when it all shut down overnight, overnight. $900,000 a week. Oof. Yeah. And in, uh, the restaurant, our, our restaurant business, right. our, our division that the restaurant division was compromised. The retail division did great. Cause everyone went to Publix, my food service manufacturing division, totally shut down because we, right. we we saw the uh, cruise ships and event centers and coliseums all Were over the country. Were you doing takeout? Or like this was, was back then, takeout? no. No, we had one drive-through and that was Winter Garden. So, I mean, it's a whole different podcast conversation of the, the pivot yeah. that happened in the business to survive. Mm -hmm. But specific to your question, when I, I called Barbara Jenkins and I said, hey, you know, and I called the state too. Right. I said, look, I got all these assets. I got a, a sitting. 10,000 square foot catering facility. Yeah. I got three some odd trucks. I got, you know, my business, I got, we had, we had to lay off. It was almost 500 people. It was awful. <clears throat> and I said, Hey, you know, if you need any help, cause you read about all this, people aren't eating and all this produce. It's remember that thing on the Sentinel, that, that picture of all that, that stack of, was it peppers on the beach that was just stumped mm. and going bad. And I said, if you need help. And now remember in March, all the students went spring break, right? And if you recall, they didn't go back to school. Mm -mm. Okay. So I started thinking like, wait a minute, I got there. There's 20% of the kids who depend on food from the school and they're not going back. What's, what's happening? Uh -huh. Well, the state stepped in. Okay. And they initiated this emergency summer meal program. Okay. The summer meal program allows those kids to come back to school mm -hmm. or the parents during the summer and still pick up food yes, okay, that they would that. typically get. Yeah. So I said, Barbara, you need any help with this? And she says, nope, we got it. We're rolling out uh, it's 50 sites in Orange County. So we can feed all these kids. I said, okay, hey, if you got any holes, you know, kids aren't being fed, you just let us know. Three days later, <laughs> after they started, she called back and there were holes all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it had nothing to do with OCPS. It had to do with where these students were. There's, you know, there's 88 students today who live in the homeless center, Coalition for the Homeless. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're students. All right. There, there are 250 students who lived in an apartment complex off of Mercy, whose parent, whose mom's not there. They don't have a ride to get to the school in yeah. order to get the food. She says, well, can you step in and fill these gaps? And um, so fortunately, we have a, a great relationship with the Department of Agriculture up in Tallahassee. And, and we called them and said, hey, you know, we're, we're happy to you know, fill these gaps. They approved us, made us a, a state vendor. 
Okay. Um, which means we could get reimbursement, I mean, a dollar, whatever it is, you know, you know, 23, I think, you know, for a, a, a meal and a half, two meals and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got that literally within days. So at less than a week after she called, we stepped into three sites in Orlando. Okay. And we were certified. We were handing out student meals. Two things happened. From your cash of food or from state food that was coming? We, we, we had to go buy it. You had to go buy it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it's very, when you're talking summer meals and student meals, you, you, you can't vary. You know, it's a box of milk. It's a, a box of, you know, Cheerios or whatever it is. And, right. You know, it, an apple. Okay. You know, a, you know, a banana. It's, it is, it's very uh, prescribed and, you know, you hand it to them. You, you don't, you don't make anything. But, but two things happened. I was out there, you know, handing out these meals. You know, back then you couldn't get out of the car because everyone was scared to death of COVID. For sure. You know, so they would drive up yeah. and you had to hand them the meals. Or you put it in their trunk. Yeah. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. 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 And I'm looking, I'm looking in the car. I'm literally handing one meal. Okay. And there's six kids in the car and there's grandma and grandpa there. And I'm like, wait a minute, if, if they're entitled to this meal, then that means the rest of the family, they're not eating either. Mm-hmm. And so or they're sharing that one little. They took it. Yeah. Right. So we said, we're going to hand out student meals, but we're going to create family meals. And when these families are coming through in the drive through, mm-hmm. we're going to hand it out. Right, fast forward. Okay. We start working with all the farmers around the state. Right. And because all this produce is going to waste, which was making me crazy. Sitting on the vine. So we literally, yeah. we got vans, we got trucks. And we were going all over, collecting all this produce. I put out an email to, uh, I think it was over 600 restaurants, event centers, caterers all around the state. Because remember, everyone's shutting down. Yeah, I the said, restaurants were Yeah, open. I said, if you got food, Cisco, Walmart, all those people. But, you, yeah, I said, if yeah. you got anything, you know, that's going bad, you know, you don't want, let me know. We went, we started picking up food and we just started cooking stuff. Yeah. And it didn't matter what it was. One day it was black beans and rice. Another day it was spaghetti, squash. And stuff. now we're bringing in all this produce. We're turning it mm-hmm. into meals. And I'm also hiring people back now. Right. Because I had work for them to do. We hired 322 people back. Right. In the middle of COVID. That's amazing. We went out to those farms. We rescued over 675,000 pounds of produce, mm-hmm. turned it into meals and as of today, we've served almost 1.8 million meals mm-hmm. in the program that became known as Feed the Need. And it's still going today. All right. Thank you for that story and for all that you did in that moment. And the like you kind of said that you're you're into strategy, right? And so being able, the processes of knowing how to put that together to implement such a wide scale in that moment so quickly, right? Like you had had... Yeah. The training through yeah, your other yeah. careers to yeah. be able to yeah. step into that yeah. and to say, yeah. okay, well, let's figure this out and let's get on our feet. And it was a real moment of need for, for so many folks. And, you know, and we're still kind of two years, we're almost two years later and, and mostly back to stability, but not yeah. everyone is still there no. No. in that way. It was a great unification too of the farmers um, and other restaurants. We ended up taking those three sites, mm-hmm. turned it into 46 sites around the state in six different counties. Mm-hmm. And we were sharing our license and empowering other restaurants to serve everywhere from Tallahassee all the way down to Miami wow. and Tampa. And we, not just our people we put back to work, but we put all those people back to work as well and sure. help them bridge those gaps. Yes. We're all grateful to be back to work. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. Yes. But in that way. Yes. 
Um, thank you so much for sharing your story in that way. And thank you for, um, for rivers and, um, all that you've kind of been in the central Florida area. We're comprised of so many incredible folks in this. Like I, I feel so wealthy with like friends and I feel so wealthy with this community. And like we were talking about the food and beverage, Mm -hmm. um, and all these different people that are showing up in the arts community from our, our mayor, of Buddy Dyer and just different people that are contributing to make Orlando area yeah. like what it is yeah. and what a privilege, you know, to share in that. But it takes place. so many amazing people that are like doing the hard work, yeah. you know, in different areas to combine to make yeah. this like yeah. such a great place to live. Yeah. I think um, that collaboration allows those people to do what mm-hmm. they love to do. Yeah. I love it. So we're going to move on to one of my favorite topics, uh, which is the Enneagram, Uh um, which I know that you might be a little bit familiar with, but maybe not totally familiar with. But I think that it's um, incredibly interesting that we are all built very differently. And I think that part of that is DNA, just how we're kind of created in our in our bodies, like we didn't really choose some of that. And then part of it is life experiences and some of those things that shape us and how we react to situations and our family of origin and so many different things. Um, and the Enneagram has kind of been like a roadmap of like personality in that way. And, um, kind of, I know that you have, uh, maybe identified as a Three. I am. Yes, probably with a strong wing two, and the three mm-hmm. being the achiever, and mm-hmm. just kind of like I see that embodied in like what you do is like you can see the vision, you can see what you want to be done, and the achiever just is kind of like no matter what industry you're in, right? You're in medical sales, you're in this, you're in that, but what is important is kind of getting the job done, right? Mm-hmm. And our motivations the Enneagram has kind of nine kind of main points on it, but then it digresses into a lot of different things, but how we're built intrinsically and you being somebody that is at the forefront of your companies and being a leader kind of like, how has it been for you? Like understanding like, okay, I'm kind of built one way, but not everyone might not be built Mm -hmm. this way. What, What are you before I answer? Say what? What are you before I answer? Oh, sure. So I am an eight, which is Mm -hmm. the challenger. Mm -hmm. And so the challenger is all about doing things differently. Mm -hmm. So they just, they want to kind of be against the world in a sense of, I, or like eights just want to, they like autonomy is their number one. Like Mm -hmm. you are not going to like have control over me or boss mm-hmm. me around or like they want to do something mm-hmm. that is very different. Mm-hmm. And so that is their kind of like motivation. So eight, threes and ones are very similar. One is the reformer, mm-hmm. three is the achiever and eight is a challenger. And so all of them have the capacity to like see where they're going and then know how to get there mm-hmm. and bring a team of people usually along with you mm-hmm. to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But they have very different motivations of why they do what they do yeah yeah and that's that's the learning lesson we've received from enneagram Uh is understanding people's motivations Mm -hmm. and why are they doing what they're doing and to me we we, i make every one of our managers do enneagram oh yeah we track it Um, i did not know that yeah no it's 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 you know of all the myers-briggs all the all these tests i've done over the years 
none to me has been more telling mm. than an Enneagram. And it helps me. I think it's me. the most holistic. It absolutely is. It is, you know, me understanding why this person who's a hard to, when I say I don't need, I don't need your help right now. Right. While they just, you know, watch them dive on Crumble. the ground. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it helps me respect that. Mm -hmm. And so using different words, mm -hmm. you know, um, hey, you know, I, I don't, I, can you help me over here? You know, I really need the expertise, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily here. And it just from a management and from a relational perspective, right? it's uh, actually um, been one of the most impactful things, uh, mm -hmm. tools that we've used. Yeah. So a three with, I feel like a strong wing too. Mm -hmm. Like, you're yeah. like, I, I guess know. what my other wing is. <laughs> Say what? Guess what my other wing is. Oddly enough. Well, your wings are, your the number's right next to you. So the two and the four. Yeah. So the four, of course, it also makes sense with just being. Seven. For, for whatever reason. Okay. It's 22, um, 21, 21, actually. Okay. Yeah. It's, so that's it's seven. It's three, two, and seven. Three, two, and seven. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. Um, but I, I, I'm, I like that. Yeah. You know, I, I like the, the positivity that about it. But I mean, threes usually are very active, very out there, doing a lot of things. They want to be like sevens are the enthusiasts, right? So yeah. like, right? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have a lot of energy. Yeah. Like you like to the be social, yep. um, be around other people. Yeah. How do you feel like the Enneagram has like in your own kind of like small world or like small, like personal relationships, kind of like being able to, for me, the Enneagram has also given me the capacity to understand kind of you touched on a little bit, but kind of like being deeply able to understand people and your own self to give grace mm -hmm. to your own self and then be able to like, give grace yeah. to other people. Yeah. No, absolutely. My my wife is a one. My daughter's a four. My son's a five. And, okay. You know, it's so funny. You look back at their lives mm -hmm. now that I understand each one of those characteristics mm -hmm. and motivations. Now I understand why they mm -hmm. are the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And they embody them. Um, sure. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> in, in every case. <laughs> you know, my daughter, is. you know, she's the individualist and she lives up in Chicago and uh, she does improv and comedy and she just... Uh, you know, mm. he loves that. Whereas my son, you know, he does analytics. <laughs> for a five, that yeah, would make a lot five. of sense. Yeah, for five. He runs all of our analytics and, you know, he's he loves sitting in a room by himself with a big computer and you know, understanding it and taking it apart. I would not last two minutes in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I love them all. Yeah. I love them all. It's, it's really amazing, I think, for me as an eight. Like, I think that I, one of the big things for the Enneagram was just understanding that people are built, built very differently than I am. Yeah. Like I'm like, of course everyone's going to react yeah. like this or yeah. everyone like, why aren't you angry about this? And someone is fearful about it. And I'm like, I don't understand that. Yeah. But then understanding that like they're coming from a very different place. Well, you're very black and white too. Eight yeah. Can be. Yeah. And there's, yeah. you know, you don't. And also ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, right. I'm married to one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you everything that's out of place in my life. <laughs> very clearly. Very clearly. Very <laughs> Matter of fact, I'll get texts on it. Right. <laughs> yes. So it's it's kind of like, and then we need the fours where everything is is the gray and the meaning in the middle, and yeah. you know we need the artists. We need yeah. we need all of them. Most of my operators are ones, mm -hmm. you know, just naturally mm -hmm. because they are they're they're fixed at their detail, which to me is great in the restaurant space. You know, you want you, yeah, you want, yeah, very on top of their game. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We have mostly ones in the management. Um, 
We've got some twos in our foundation, which mm-hmm. makes a whole lot of sense there. Mm-hmm. Um, my marketing team is a little more all over the board, sure, <laughs> which is good. Uh huh. You know, I've, I've got my fours. I had a couple eights who work for us, and they they don't work. They don't stay long. You know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. You know, they do. They get the job done. They do a fantastic job. You always know exactly where you stand. Mm-hmm. You're never going to hurt their feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't penetrate. And, that and if you do, they'll have a conversation with you about yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah. And, yeah. When, and when the time comes that they're done, you know, and yeah, they're going to go on to the next thing. Fair enough. I'm an eight wing nine, so it's like this very weird juxtaposition oh, wow. of yeah. like, yeah. Gotta study a, things and understand being a it. peacemaker, and so I think that oh. with, with dinner parties, like I yeah. love, I love yeah. reading the room. I want to make sure people feel comfortable, yeah. and then I want to make sure that I also can stand up for myself, like when I need to, and I, you know, have that have that capacity yeah. in that way. But um, it's been such a, I feel like a blessing to my life, to just as far as like, I mean, I've, I have a degree in psychology, and okay. I've always been incredibly fascinated by all those things, but I think self-awareness is one of the most beautiful gifts that we yeah. can give to the world. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. like, you know, like entering in a room, like how to, how am I affected? How are people affected around me? Um, and how can I be my most whole version of myself? You know, and I think the eight gave me language to like mm-hmm. understand myself in, yeah. a, in a better, more yeah. full way. So I had the perfect world. My assistant, Sarah's a nine. Mm-hmm. So she is the most accommodating, most sweet, most wonderful mm-hmm. person I can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. I love it. So you touched on it a little bit and we'll wrap up with this, but my really favorite topic is rest. And mm. it's something that I don't think Americans do enough or talk about enough. Mm-hmm. And I loved how you said when you're swimming, a lot of like ideas come to you. Or when you're, when you have this time in that morning time, mm-hmm. um, how rest is so tied to creativity and to health. Mm-hmm. And so in those times when you can slow down, sit down, um, and sometimes it's like, even when you're in, when you're on vacation and you play, but it's like to Sabbath means to stop working. Mm-hmm. And a lot, and a lot of America, right. I think the, the this world is is not rewarded in that way of like, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, you took a whole weekend off, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-huh. um, and I know that you said swimming was was one way that you kind of detach, but what are some ways that practices of like uh, play, discovery, rest? Mm-hmm. Um, in your world that kind of like rejuvenate, I know you, we, we talked about the swimming part of it, but, mm-hmm. um, what does that look I bike, like? Your... I bike a lot as well. Um, I love to read. Okay. You know, in my mornings or, you know, what are you reading? Ah, uh, a few different books right now. Um, I get fascinated with something. I'm reading, um, the art of peace by the Dalai Lama, which is really fascinating. I saw a movie with, uh, he and the Reverend Tutu okay. you know, from, uh, Africa. It was just such a beautiful movie. I wanted to learn more mm. about the Dalai Lama. And it's it's a beautiful book. Um, you know, I read I read a couple of the Mr. Rogers books uh last year that I really, mm. really God, I love I love that psychology mm-hmm. quite a bit. I'll read, you know, a business book typically. And my son um loves fiction um and movies. So, 
you know, there's, there's, there's a whole connection that's so important in relationships. And mm -hmm. that connection is where the two of you can come together and, mm -hmm. and find something that you really love. So I will read a fiction book um, with him that's and that uh, gives us a chance check to check out. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm in, he's got me in one now. It's got, I think, 12 in the series. You know, or 10 or 12. I'm on book number four. So I'll okay. be busy with that one for right. a while, but I'm enjoying that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we love, I, I'm a big movie buff. Um, mm. I say that I love going to the movie. I love the popcorn. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I love the, you know, the excitement and the entertainment, but I can't tell you like the history. He knows all the, the artists, the directors, that style of shoot. And, yeah. and I'm just happy to be along with them, right. you know? Um, so, you know, just, we, just we, we'll see that. And then travel is a big deal. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's both relaxing mm -hmm. um, and it's educational and I'm learning and I'm getting yeah. inspired and so many, so many crazy menu ideas or cooking. We have so many cooking apparatuses now will come from something that I saw in Greece or something I saw in Germany or something. Sure. I'll come back and I'll end up buying one or building one, you know, <laughs> use it once. And now I have literally have a warehouse full of this stuff. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh -huh. So if you had 24 hours of a day of rest, it could be here, it could be anywhere in the world. Money is of no consequence. If you could just have your dream day of 24 hours, what would it look like? Um, anywhere without travel, we take all that piece out of it. It would be with my family for sure. Mm -hmm. The four of us would be together. Um, we, we do, we do enjoy quite a bit. Um, the ocean, um, you know, being on a beach mm -hmm. and being in a resort or something and just actually not doing anything for the day. Mm -hmm. If I had one perfect day, yeah, you know, just reading, yeah. um, you know, I'll, at some point I'll go swim or work out. I got, I have to exercise. I got to sure. do something. Get it out. Yeah. But yeah. Come, come right back. No, no, no appointments, no yeah. reservations. Um, lots of good food around. Um, quiet. That'd be nice. Um, and then a nice meal that night together. Yeah. That sounds so dreamy. <laughs> That's very along the lines of my, I like a day where there's no set things that I have to be at. Yeah. Even if it's like on a, a holiday or something, it's like, I have a whole day. Yeah, I can yeah. get up. I can wander. Yeah. I can get, grab lunch. I can do yeah. this. But you know, part of appreciating it so much is that it's, it's infrequent. Mm. You know, if it was all the time and sure. that was your life, I don't, I don't That's know if we would have as much an appreciation for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I have one more question and we're going to wrap things up, but I did want to circle back. You said it took 18 years mm -hmm. from when you first tried brisket. So how did that circle back around? Ah. How did you come back and did they, did they say, did they relinquish? I was so excited about it when I finally, cause I, I was my worst critic too, cause I had, had all this great brisket all over the country Uh huh. and uh, I called them up. And we're, you know, and this is your wife's family. Yeah. Now, okay. now we're all, you know, together for 18 years. We're family. We're friends. Sure. I said, I got it. I said, you're going to be at your house. All, all the siblings just happened to be together. I think the next weekend, the weekend after that, I smoked it. I put it into like a Costco Publix, you know, bag, mm -hmm. got on the plane, flew to Texas, went down to Houston and everybody ate it at the mm -hmm. table. They, they loved it. Mm -hmm. I gave it a stamp and I flew back the next day. Oh, wow. Yep. All right. Yep. So you had said, this is literally the moment you will try it. Yeah. And then. And I, and I didn't want to bring it to them until I knew it was up to par with everything that they would have there. Sure. That's what took so long. That's a lot of years. It was, it was That's a lot, a lot of, of, a lot of like Christmases or like a lot of times that you were together that you were like, not yet. 
but close. They would, <laughs> they would just rib me all the time. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, I love it. Um, do you have any MO or mantra that you try to live your life by? Not, not cliche wise. No. Um, I have, a, I, I write a lot, so I have a lot of, um, stuff written down, but I can't just say, this is like, I do actually, you know, I say that, but one that I do keep coming back to is, um, the purpose of life mm-hmm. is to actually live life for a purpose. Mm. You know, no matter what that is, it doesn't, it, everybody's purpose is theirs. You know, they're yeah. created yeah. in order With to do purpose. something that is, that is spectacular. It's special to them. Yeah. And doesn't have to change the world. You know, it, it could change a single life. But when you are committed to doing and finding that purpose. Your purpose, yeah. Yes. That's when, that to me is when you become alive. I think that's also really powerful as well within the past two years Uh when a lot of things have changed. Job titles have changed. Salaries have changed. So many things have changed. um, And the real purpose of who you are created to be and knowing that, and even those circumstances may change. Like you've had a lot of circumstances around your whole life, ups and downs, but knowing that the core of mm-hmm. who, who you are, what your purpose is, what you're created to yeah, do going back. and coming back to that. And then, and then living mm-hmm. out of that. If you didn't have that solid foundation, it's mm-hmm. hard to get back to anything. And you're right. lost. Yeah. If people wanted to know um, on the internet, online, socially, if they want to follow what you're doing, how would people find you on the on the online world? Me, it's Instagram is probably the. I'm not a huge poster, but the, mm-hmm. I do put stuff there from the farm. The farm has a site uh, on Instagram, and you know the website is information. You know, mm-hmm. It's www for the number four. Um, rootsfarm.org. Org, yeah. Yeah. And you can find out stuff there. But you know, the Instagram and Facebook just seem to be so much um, more instantaneous, you know, finding updates and events and the smokehouse. We so we have events. We have a world that, that I run the smokehouse and I have a world that I run the farm. And they're, they're two simultaneous paths that are going down at, at high speed at the yeah. exact same time. So you can, you can find stuff that's going on around us um, pretty easily. Wonderful. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. You're welcome. And um, until the next time. Yes, it was a pleasure. Yeah. So enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 